I like to open today's episode with a quote. It says, "People who've endured horrible things can laugh at anything." This came from my guest today, and she's been through some pretty unbelievable stuff. Imagine growing up with a mother who's obsessed with ghosts and who neglects her duty as a mother to chase away these ghosts. A mother who cusses in every other sentence, who feeds you candy for all your meals, and lights your foot on fire in the name of exercising demons. That was author Lindsay Wong's childhood. Lindsay grew up on the west coast of Canada with a mercurial and unreliable mother, and a father who was always away working. Her parents immigrated to Canada from Hong Kong, and much of the dysfunctional family dynamic came from their Asian immigrant experience and her mother's mental illness. Arising from generations of trauma, she tried, right? You know, there were all these things against her intergenerational trauma.、Um, you know,、mm-hmm. not being an immigrant,、um, cultural beliefs, not having access to all these things that I had growing up. Her father was determined to make sure that his children thrived in their new country, and signed Lindsay up for ice hockey classes in order to fit in and to build character. Lindsay hated those classes growing up. To push her on to achieve great things, he also called her retarded and garbage on a regular basis. In his half cruel, half funny sense of humor, Chinese humor, especially in my family, it's very blunt.、Um, it's it's judgmental. It's mean, and so you grow up, you know, having developed these really、um, strong, I guess, I guess I would say, a tough skin. It was a super weird childhood, growing up in the suburbs of Vancouver next to Chinese drug millionaires and her crazy family, according to Lindsay, where her aunt once held the city of Vancouver hostage for eight hours after threatening to jump off a bridge. I had written the book just for me, right? Just to really make、yeah. sense of myself and how I felt about my family, and I really thought only five people would read it. Much of her memoir, when I read it, seemed unreal. Does this stuff really happen to kids you grew up with? I wondered. But it's all true, and how on earth did Lindsay survive all that? I find one of our most difficult relationships to be our relationship with our parents. You love them, but you also resent them a little bit. Parenting is one of the most difficult things to get right because it comes with no manual, and every parent-child relationship is different. It's also hard because as humans, we're flawed. What ends up happening, I think, is that parents pass on their flaws either consciously or subconsciously to their child each generation, in a vicious cycle that continues down the line. So, what do you do if you had a really traumatic childhood, where your mom and dad didn't treat you the way you hoped to be treated? How do those scars impact you as an adult, and how can you rise above it and free yourself from those early experiences? I'm Cece, and you're listening to Wiser Living, a show about living your best life. My aim here is to enlighten and inspire. Each episode, I will take you into the world of someone who has gone through a really challenging life experience and came out triumphing. We will look at the lessons in those experiences to learn from them and to become better. If you enjoy hearing about people's lives and improving your own life, then be sure to subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Wiser Living with CC Wong, where you get notified to new episodes featuring guests, including top artists, thinkers, and newsmakers. There's also a website where you can access all the content of each episode, including photos from each interview. That's at cc-wang.com, spelled S-I-S-S-I-W-A-N-G.com. 
All right, now let me formally introduce you to our guest today, Ms. Lindsay Wong, author of *The Woo Woo: How I Survived Ice Hockey, Drug Raids, Demons, and My Crazy Chinese Family*. Her memoir was released in 2018, and despite it being her debut novel, it was well received. And being a memoir, it was the opposite of boring. I think the reason it was such a hit is because it's written in the super funny and honest voice while looking at some serious issues. Lindsay's writing makes it impossible to put it down because you're itching to know what happens next to her and how she gets through it. Her life is way stranger than fiction. Let's put it that way. And here's Lindsay chatting with me about her crazy Asian family, how she's a magnet for bad luck, how writing helped her heal, whether we can escape intergenerational trauma, resilience, and how to get along with your crazy parents. Lindsay, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for、uh, joining us today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So, how have you been doing since the publishing of your、uh, book, The Woo Woo?、Uh, it's been busy.、Um... I always say, like when you set up to write a book, you don't think people are gonna read it.、Um, and so when the book came out and it received a lot of attention,、um, I never expected it. It was overwhelming, but I'm I'm really grateful that people actually sat down to read it.、Um, and since then, I've just been writing.、Um, I wrote two books.、Um, third one's coming out. I've been teaching.、Um, I've been doing media interviews.、Um, yeah, that's. Pretty much all I've been doing, working around the clock, as I say, right?、Um, being a writer、mm-hmm. is not glamorous or really fun at all. It's mostly just sitting in your room talking to yourself.、Um, <laughs> a lot of the time, it's just me talking into my phone or the computer or yelling at the screen, Google Docs. <laughs>、um, that's my life. Yeah. Yeah. When did you realize that、um, you wanted to become a writer? I would say.、Um, I was in university and I had gotten into the creative writing program at UBC.、Um, it wasn't one of those things where I sat down and I was like, "I'm going to be a writer growing up."、Um, I really had no idea what I wanted to do, and I was never very good at all the academic subjects that most Asians are are supposedly good at. I couldn't do math, I couldn't do science, and and I think at one point my parents were like, they were so fed up, and they were kind of like, "Just do what you want to do." And I'd gotten into the writing program. And I started to take it, and and was there. I kind of realized、um, I had these really wonderful professors who sat down and said, you know, you have a voice, you should use it. And I think that's sort of how、um, the woo woo was formed, right? Because you know, when you grow up in these sorts of environments, especially with immigrant parents, you don't really know,、um, you know, that maybe what you're growing up isn't quite normal. And so I was writing about my family and all these workshops, and then I had people tell me like, oh, you're. It's really weird, you know. Have you thought about like turning this into a book of essays? And and so like that was sort of you know how the book was formed. And、um, in the book, I talk about my aunt. She had、um, a nervous breakdown and、um, all sorts of things, and she ended up taking the city of Vancouver hostage on Canada Day. And that was while I was in the program.、Um, and I remember writing about it for class. Some professors said, "You know, I was on the bridge that day. I was stuck in traffic for eight hours, and now I know why I was there. It was all because of your aunt." And and so, really, that's I think was where I kind of accidentally became a writer. Yeah. yeah. No, you have so many interesting stories from your family, and I think one of the things about being a writer is that you really have to have material. Mm-hmm. To to write, and also you have a very unique and really funny voice. 
I remember yeah. reading the woo woo. Um, I just couldn't put it down because it was so funny. But also, you're talking about this really uh, important topic of mental health uh, in the Asian culture. So, have you have you always had that sort of? Um, um, do you always look at your life with a with a sense of humor? I think so. Um, I think it's something that I didn't realize I had. Um, I'd moved to New York, and um, as I chronicle in, in the book, I got really sick, right? I had this weird, strange neurological condition that I think I saw 11 different neurologists, and no one knew what I had um, at one point, you know, and I thought I was really having a psychotic break. And I think all of a sudden, um, when they said, you know, you may not be able to read and you may not be able to finish school, um, something shifted in my writing. I was always a very, very serious writer. Um mm. And I think, you know, I never thought of myself as funny. And I think there's something about, you know, when you were suddenly sick and, you know, you feel like there's nothing else going on that you suddenly shift as a person or as a writer. And so I think Mm. I developed that sort of defense mechanism because sometimes when things are so bad, right, it's better to laugh than to cry. And I think um, a lot Mm -hmm. of people, um, especially people who've had, you know, troubled childhoods or horrible things happen to them, they develop this really strange or a really strong sense of humor because it's the best mechanism, right? Because it's a survival um, mechanism, right? Um, Because people who endured horrible things, they can laugh about anything, right? And Mm -hmm. and so I think think that's where my sense of dark humor comes from. Um, Mm -hmm. Nothing is too sacred or too sad to write about or laugh about, even though you know, to an outsider sometimes people are horrified, right? Um, and, And that's I think where culture comes in too. I think um, Chinese humor, especially in my family, it's very blunt. Um, it's it's judgmental. It's mean, and so you grow up, you know, having developed these really um, a strong. I guess I guess I would say a tough skin, right? A tough exterior mm-hmm. where you're able to laugh about it and then move on, right? Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Uh, after you wrote that book, The Woo Woo, uh, did you get any uh, readers submitting emails or mails to you that um, told you they saw themselves in your story? You know what? It was really funny because the only emails I re- was receiving were from older, middle-aged fathers, white fathers. And, Interesting. And I thought, oh my God, is this a dad book? Did I write to, to dads? <laughs> right? And, then, and so I thought, okay, maybe, you know, they relate to the hockey or maybe they have daughters or something. Right. Or, or maybe yeah. some of them have, that's interesting. Really yeah. strange, you know, um, I don't know. There was like, there was like one, um, dad who like sent me a, a picture of his Asian family and his wife. And so, I mean, I don't want to go there. Um, <laughs> but so I, so I was really worried. I was like, Oh my God, it's not reaching the right audience. Right. And then finally this year, um, I had an a- Asian student reach out, um, grade 12. And mm-hmm. she said she had invited me to her school because she said she really saw herself there. And that was just really touching for me. And mm-hmm. so I thought, okay, maybe it is finally reaching the right people, but maybe they're too shy to write to me. Yeah, yeah that, maybe, hopefully. yeah. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely feel like a lot of Asian kids can relate to what you were saying about, you know, these sort of judgmental and blunt ways that parents uh, express themselves to you. Because, um, yeah, like at least from my friend circle and, you know, for me growing up, I've, I've sort of been at the receiving end of those remarks too. And I think it's just a lot of... Um, uh, it's just the way that um, 
parents from our from their like you know our parents generation are sort of maybe brought up to kind of express themselves in that way mm-hmm. so i definitely don't think it's um it's uncommon and it definitely hurt my feelings when i was a kid oh, yeah <laughs> right? yo absolutely and that's why i you know when i was reading your book i was like mm, yeah i can i can see i can see myself in that story too a little bit yeah for sure yeah i'm curious so when you were a child how did you react when your dad said some really mean stuff to you like you know you're stupid you're not gonna amount to much how did that affect you that's a really good question um because i think when you're a child you really um internalize these things right um especially if someone is saying you are stupid you are fat right and you start to believe that right Mm -hmm. and for the longest time i felt i wasn't good at anything um, and so that was where I really found myself in creative writing, um, because all of a sudden, um, well, you can say whatever you want when you're writing. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and so you were able to really, you know, find yourself, but then having, you know, outside validation and workshop, having professors and other students tell you, you know, this is really good, or this is really funny. And so it starts to shift, I guess, your perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. For the longest time, though, I thought they were just being nice, right? And to this day, I still can't (laughs) take a compliment. I think people are just (laughs) lying to me, right? Someone's like, oh, you know, this is really good, or I love your book. And I'm like, oh, really? (laughs) You know, (laughs) I have to stop myself from saying that because it does, I think, impacts you. Um, So even like to this day, like my family will say something really judgmental or critical, um, but coming from, you know, an adult point of view or like an outsider's point of view, I can, you know, step back and be like, okay, they meant it this way or they don't know what they're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. But I think children don't have that barrier. You need that translation, I think, right? Almost be like, okay, what they mean is this, that um, you're not stupid, but you could have, you know, maybe tried harder on that exam, you know? (laughs) Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm, a B exactly. plus isn't bad. It's uh, it's average, but you know you could get an A next time. Yeah, you know that's yep, like the yep, way of doing yep. it. Yeah, that's the proper way to do it. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. So you also had a very rocky relationship with your mother as a child. But how was that relationship different from your dad's in its difficulties? Mm-hmm. I think um, my dad was working a lot all the time. Um, he was very busy um, growing up, and it seemed that my mother, um, who she doesn't, she didn't have a job and she still doesn't have to have a job. So she was home all the time taking care of us. So, um, having her around, it just seemed like she was the more, I guess, dominant force because we would only see my dad sometimes after dinner or sometimes not at all if he was working very late. And, um, she would drive us to piano. She would drive us to hockey. And, um, and so having her, and I think she was very frustrated, um, at that mm. time, looking back, and so we would be on the end of her diatribes, right? So she would be yelling mm. and screaming, and of course, like, I mean, it's no excuse to take your anger out on children, but it does happen, right? Um, especially a lot to immigrant parents. And so mm-hmm. I always saw her as someone who is who's very angry, um, mm. who could control her temper, right? And also, um, I think, being afraid of ghosts, right? She's very superstitious um, to this day. Let's talk about the woo-woo. What is the woo-woo for listeners who have not read your book? Right. Um, So the woo-woo, it came about because my dad didn't know the English word for ghosts. And he would always, you know, a dog would be woof-woof, right? And I guess ghosts make that sound woo-woo. And so um, we would call any ghost the woo-woo. And... Growing up, of course, my parents didn't believe in mental illness, and I think it's very common in Asian cultures not 
to believe in mental illness or acknowledge it. And so we blamed it on ghosts or demons, right? Because there was only one way a person was acting strange was because a ghost had gotten them. So going back to what you were saying about your mother, so she didn't enjoy all those tasks that she was put to, you know, sending you guys to piano lessons and, um, and hockey, but she also had a mental illness. I think so. In, in some ways, I think she suffered from anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. postpartum. Um, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, so I can't diagnose, but I think, you know, there were a lot of things going on, right? Um, and of course, you know, when things are happening, um, you know, she had three kids, um, you know, she pretty much raised us uh, when my dad was working, um, but mm-hmm. not having resources or the access to mental health, right? Um, mm-hmm. And there's also this terrible stigma in Chinese culture where, you know, you don't seek outside help. You kind of suck it up yeah. and you, like, hold it in, right? And if it's really bad, you might confide in a sister or auntie or someone, right, who will just tell you, to, you know, um, it's all in your head. You have you could be stronger mm-hmm. than that, right? Just focus on your children or something. And I think um, a lot of it is cultural, right? That shame and that stigma and the fear, right, of people mm-hmm. finding out that there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, after the publishing of your book, have you convinced her or, you know, did she read the book and uh, realize that maybe she needs to go see um, somebody who could help her? You know what? My family, um, we don't even talk about the book. We mm. have just completely pretended it, it has not it does not exist um i think of course um, my brother he did tell me that they went to the library um they're not gonna buy it of course being asian right um, i know this terrible stereotype but they didn't want to spend 20 dollars on it and so they waited till they're like number 10 at the library and they finally got it and i think they read it they never said anything to me um mm-hmm. so i think there's that um and also there's this fear i think of me um wanting to reveal secrets so whenever yeah. i'm in the room they just they're just so quiet they never say anything in case i you know take something and write about yeah. it or or tweet it mm-hmm. i don't know um so i guess that's the power and the fear of being a memoirist right you know everyone's scared mm-hmm. of you right <laughs> so mm-hmm. when you sit down at a family dinner you're just like talking about the weather and they're eating their food <laughs> till you go away <laughs> um but yeah no to answer your question i don't think um the book changed her at all um, in mm. terms of wanting to seek help or thinking there's no shame to whatever there mm-hmm. is. So um, if anything, um, they're nicer to me, or at least I don't know if it's nicer, <laughs> but no one says anything to me. I see. Yeah. yeah. But did you, when you published the book, did you go in thinking that um, it might change the way they um, behave either towards you or they approach parenting in general? Um, I didn't have that. I think um, as a writer, um, you know, the book, like I said, happened almost by accident. I didn't set out to be a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when I, I had written the book just for me, right, just to really make yeah. sense of myself and how I felt about my family. And I really thought only five people would read it, right? Because you hear all these stories about, you know, debuts and no one reading it. And, you know, everyone takes home like, you know, hundred copies and left in your living room, and I thought that was going to be me. Um, and so to have that reaction was really surprising um, in terms of the public. Um, I didn't think 
the book would start a conversation about mental health. I didn't really think yeah. my parents would be interested. Um, I remember, you know, telling my dad, it'd be in LA at that time. And I said, Oh, um, by the way, I have a book coming out and he wasn't interested at all about what it was about. He was just more about interested about like how much money did you get for it? Um, and I had told <laughs> him practical. it was like a very small <laughs> amount in terms of, you know, yeah. small thousands, right. For that yeah. amount of work. And he was like, he's like, Oh, that's it. And he like, you, and then he just like hung up or something and or wanted to talk about something else I don't know um so yeah. I I know it's, it's hard because when you're writing about your family you're straddling these stereotypes right I don't want to be like oh yeah Asian people are like this right and, and it's yeah. not true mm-hmm. but you know there's some there's I think there's some truth in, in stereotypes or at least like when you want to be authentic right to how they are mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so did your dad end up reading the book eventually I don't think he reads um I no? Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah, because I feel like, um, do you feel that if they knew you were going to write the book ahead of time, they would definitely prevented you from writing it? Um, I don't know. It's hard to know. I mean, mm-hmm. I think they might have not cared or might not have understood. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like they might be like, oh, why would anyone want to read that? That's not interesting. You mm-hmm. know, like they don't have a really, I think, sense of what a book should be. Um, mm. so they might not have cared, I think, if I had, I mean, they did know I was writing a book about the family, but they mm-hmm. didn't really care because it was just like, oh, Lindsay's, it's Lindsay thing or Lindsay's hobby or whatever. Cause writing yeah, they is, didn't really understand how, how, how many people would end up reading it, I guess. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. more interested in, I guess, like how much money you got for it or like, <laughs> you know, what, what type of job do you have? You know? <laughs> Yeah. That's them, right? Um, I, mm-hmm. I remember doing um, recently did a CBC documentary on what happened mm. um, to my family after Woo Woo, and it was about silence and how no one talks to me anymore. Right? Um, yeah. And I remember um, having to tell my parents that I was doing this interview, and I asked them, "Do you want to participate? Do you want to like chime in with what what you're feeling?" Right? Because yep. I guess the journalistic, you know, thing yep. to do yep. to ask your subjects, and they're like why they're like first of all you know why would anyone want to listen to this um you know (laughs) second of all like this is not even like an interesting topic and then that was it wow yeah Yeah. (laughs) well um I want to go back to your mother um do you resent her at all for your unstable and unconventional childhood um I think growing up I did for sure especially when you're a Mm -hmm. teenager um you know as a young adult you were like, well, why is my mom so mean to me? You know, I tried so hard, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, like you try really hard at school, but you're not getting results, right? I was never like very good at math or anything in terms of mm-hmm. in academia. Um, and then, you know, she's criticizing you for being overweight, right? And of course, that's, I thought was really mean. Um, but as an adult, I think when, especially when I was writing the book, you're able to really see your mother as a person, right? Because often we see our mothers as mothers, right? They're just one yes, thing, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then I was able to... And there's really... expectations, yes, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. All these expectations and you're a child, so you're being punished and you have no agency and you can't really talk back. I mean, you can, but in Chinese culture, like, you know, you're a really bad kid if you talk back, right? <laughs> I mean, I did, but, you know, yep, still. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And, and so I think... You know, when I was reading the book, I was able to really see her history. You know, she grew up in poverty. She had all these sisters. um, And so she became more of a human being, right? A person. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And by seeing her as a whole person versus just your mom, that helped you to sort of forgive her. Yeah, I would say so. I think so. I think it's mm-hmm. um, um, it was really important, or at least you know, from my point of view, to to see her that way and and see her as you know she tried right. Um, mm-hmm. But look at you know there were all these things against her intergenerational trauma. Um, you know, mm-hmm. not being immigrant, um, cultural beliefs, not having access to all these things that I had growing up, right? And so mm-hmm. sometimes when she says something hurtful or ignorant, I just have to sigh and be like, okay, okay, mm-hmm. you know, like this is my mother, she's trying, she's trying to feed me, but you know, mm-hmm. she's going about it the whole wrong way, right? And, and so you mm-hmm. have to, you know, go, um, you have to approach it with a lot of patience, right? It's like dealing with an auntie who says, sometimes says horrible and cruel things um, that are but you just have to, they mean well, uh, I guess, deep mm-hmm. down inside, but you just have to, you know, not take it personally. I'm sure yeah. all Asian children, especially adult Asian children, know about this when they sit down yep. with family dim sum, right? You just be like, okay, <laughs> she's talking, but I'm not listening. Yeah, yeah, well, one year in, one year Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess um, before you wrote your memoir, maybe there was still some resentment or some um, uh, feelings that were sort of unresolved when it comes to your parents, but the writing process of it, the reflection and the digging into your parents as, um, you know, whole people with um, their own histories helped you heal. Oh, I I think completely. So So now you're past everything and you've forgiven everybody. Um, I wouldn't say I have forgiven everyone a hundred percent. I do. I mean, okay. I mean, I'm the type of person, I'm a writer. I hold grudges, right? I'm still never, <laughs> I'm never going to forgive someone, you know, just because they said sorry. Uh, but mm. I can, I think I have a better understanding. So, mm. you know, I can understand someone, but not forgive them a hundred percent. Right. And mm. I think that's mm. um, how I kind of view, view the world. Like, I, um, I'm willing to have, you know, family dinners or whatever. And, you know, I'm grateful for what they did. You know, growing up, I got to go to, you know, piano lessons, even though I didn't like it. But, you know, looking back as an adult, you know, that's a nice gesture, like your family giving you things, right? Um, mm-hmm. But then at the same time, you know, I can be like, well, why did you say that to me? Because that hurt my feelings, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. you're always thinking about that. And it's like a process, I think, of of, you know, mm-hmm. trying to put things in a distance or um, perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, looking back, what would you like your childhood to have been? You know what? I think um, having, I think understanding, right? Um, mm-hmm. For example, like I didn't like hockey. I'm, I'm not a very athletic <laughs> child. I don't, I rather, <laughs> I rather sit and read, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Um, and so like having to play hockey, and wake up really early. I didn't enjoy it. Um, I mean, of course, you know, I tried hard because that's who I am, but it wasn't, if I had to choose, I wouldn't pick hockey. Um, I wouldn't pick piano. I, I don't enjoy music, right? Um, you know, like having to sit there and practice nine hours a day, like I, I'd rather be reading <laughs> or writing, right? That's what I, I was interested in. And I think um, mm-hmm. if you, if I went to my parents, I did try to tell them, right? But of course, being them, they're like, no, you have to do it, right? I think that's that mm-hmm. Asian mindset that people get, mm-hmm. the stereotype, like you're a good Asian kid, you need to practice nine hours a day, right? Um, mm-hmm. I just wish, you know, they had listened, right? Whereas that, I think, because I grew up in the West and, and, you know, your 
classmates who don't have Asian parents can choose what they want to do, right? So if they don't want to do anything mm-hmm. that summer, they can not do anything that summer. Mm. And what about the way that your um, parents parented you? You know, I think it, it's hard because they're the product of their own um, upbringing too, right? And being immigrants, mm-hmm. I think if I'd been raised in Asia, I think everyone would have probably been raised like me or at least similar, right? Having that mm-hmm. strict upbringing. Um, but of course, you know, my, my parents are extreme like that with, you know, all these other things, mental illness and, and culture. Um, I kind of wish that they had taken things in moderation. So, you know, mm-hmm. like a B plus is not the end of the world, right? As we know. <laughs> um, yeah. I just mm-hmm. wish that was something that had been addressed, right? Like, why Why do we need, like, 100% in every subject, mm-hmm. right? And that, mm-hmm. those are mm-hmm. the stresses. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, like, I think some understanding would have been nicer, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, no kid wants to be called fat or, you know retarded right not to use our yeah. word um, but yeah yeah something that was used a lot yeah um do you think children can ever escape generations of trauma yes and no um i don't know if they can escape mm-hmm. it completely i think it's gonna follow you almost yeah. like a, a ghost right like there there'll always be that voice talk um telling you you're not good enough um you know, this happened to your mother and your grandmother and you will always remember it. So it's something that you can't fully 100% escape, but I think you can mm. manage it. Um, I think it's something, um, you know, you have to be able to put it in the past and move on um, and, and in any way that you can. Um, otherwise, it becomes mm-hmm. unmanageable. Um, and I think I did that. With the woo-woo. I was able to really um, put it all behind me. Um, so, I, I mean, I wrote it when I was yeah. very young. I was my 20s um I just finished my undergrad I started writing in undergrad and then I wrote it mm-hmm. when I was at Columbia um but it took many many years for it to get published so um a lot of it was um you know going back into my 21 mm-hmm. year old self right um and then being able to to look at this and be like okay well you know um, that's how I felt then and so it was true to the voice I think if I wrote the woo-woo today it would be a different book right um I think uh, it was a lot more raw um, because it was younger, right? So I'm curious, given the distance behind you from the time that uh, you wrote the book to now, how have you changed as a person? Um, I would say I'm a lot less hot-headed. When I was younger, I was very, I think I had a temper. Um, I would just say things without thinking. Um, and I think now when you, when one becomes, I guess, older, um, you become a lot nicer as a person or at least more understanding. Right. Mm. I think that's what happens. Like there's a shift. I think once you, you know, hit 25, your brain, you know, you're, you start being nicer to people. Right. Uh, but when you're like 21, (laughs) like everyone, you know, you, you can skewer anyone. Right. And that's what happens. But how did you grow out of your upbringing? You know, your upbringing made you a certain way. You were talking about um, the meanness. Um, I think a lot of it also maybe because it's your way of dealing with um, your reality back then. And also you may be reflecting what your parents were doing to you back to other people because that's all you know about how to react to somebody when you're mad or angry. So how did all that unlearning happen after you uh, left your family? Um, I would say just not being around them when, you know, I went to school in New York, you know, I 
done various artist residencies. I've traveled around um, and being away from people and, and seeing how other people talk to each other and, and react, right? Um, a lot of it, it was a cooling down period for me, right? Um, and a way of really just thinking about like, well, if I do this, what happens then, right? And I think um, when you're in that moment, when someone's, you know, yelling at you, you're going to yell back, right? And I think that was a, it's a nice <laughs> break, I think. I always say, you know, uh, leave home and then then you will see your family in a different light. Um, and a lot of mm-hmm. it, I think, is maturity and, and looking um, and looking at things from that distance. And, of course, you know, that research that I did, right, um, it really helped put things in perspective. Um, I think if I'd stayed in Vancouver, um, and I wouldn't have written the same book that I had when mm-hmm. I was away. So after all the childhood trauma where you were um, subjected to verbal and emotional abuse, how did you manage to rise above all that and succeed in your career as an author? That's a hard question. Um, I don't know. Um, I think for me, a lot of it is I've always been a very resilient person. Um, I've heard people tell me that I have grit. Um, I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. But um, maybe, is the hockey? maybe the hockey did something. <laughs> Who knows? Like, I'm a type of person, you know, yeah. I fall down a lot. I can pick myself up and keep going. Um, and I'm someone who's also very, I think, stubborn. Um, I think you mm. have to be as an author um, because we face so many rejections, right? Um, you know, just to get published. And even when one is established, you know, you still face you know, rejections. Um, and so I think having that sort of personality could be helpful and having a sense of humor, right? I say, you know, humor is a, you know, it's a way of surviving. Right. And I think that's what a lot of people do. Right. Um, and of course, you know, a lot of it is just seeing, um, having that goal, I guess, of, I want to be an author. I want to write books, you know, I want to be that type of person who is successful in my own own way, right? Um, I think um, Asian parents have this one-sided idea of what is successful. So you have a nine-to-five job, you are successful. Um, And so for me, you know, um, it was really just finding my own path. Um, And and I guess a lot of trying, right? I don't have a right, I don't have a, a, an answer for anyone who's like, well, how did you do that? Um, it's really just um, being that type of person who, who sees something and, mm-hmm. and tries to get it. Yeah, because I was just going to point out that also in your childhood, you've gone through a lot of experience that most kids don't ever get exposed to. And you, you managed to survive through all of that. It definitely takes a lot of grit, and you say it's just part of your personality. I'm a little bit of luck, I think, right? I have um, I have really, really bad luck, and I also have really, really good luck at the same time. So I don't know if that, if, if that makes sense. Um, What's like, the good, good luck? luck? I mean, um, for example, like writing my first book, I, I didn't expect people would respond to it that well, right? So, I, mm. you know, um, it was on mm-hmm. Canada Reads. You don't expect books like that for your first book, right? So you'll have, I'll have great luck with that um but then I'm the type of person you know I'll I'll get stung on the head by a bee and I'm allergic to bees right (laughs) so oh no yeah the strangest Mm -hmm. things happen to me yeah yeah really interesting life that you have I'm a magnet for bad luck and but bad (laughs) luck comes good luck right exactly so how is your condition right now with your um is it like a vertical thing that you're you were experiencing um near the end of the book where you were at the uh new york subway station yeah um 
so I have been really fortunate that the vertigo um, over the years it's lessened. Mm-hmm. So I remember when it first came, it was like every day, relentless, right? Um, and then for the for the next five years, I would have um, it would be ongoing, right? And then for some reason, um, it only hits me now when I'm really tired. Um, so mm-hmm. I think it is related to stress um, and and just in terms of the migraine, right? So I avoid screens, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, when I'm tired, I'm like, okay, it's time to stop working. Um, so I've been fortunate that it, knock on wood, it's not permanent. Um, but yeah, those first five years, I was so terrified because it would last for such a long time. Yeah. I would have an episode that would last months and months, or I would have an episode mm-hmm. that would like immobilize me for like three weeks. Mm. Do you still have fears that in terms of your mental health that you could end up like your mother? Yeah, it's terrifying um, because there's so mm-hmm. much mental illness in my family. Um, and I read somewhere, I, and then I could be wrong, that schizophrenia um, can show up when you're 45 as a female. So you're not mm-hmm. you're not really safe, right, until you turn 46 or something. Because I think my aunt was really, was in her 40s, right, when she, right, that episode right um or close to 50 I can't remember how old she was um and and so like that that happened right and that's terrifying um for me so I think it's something for me I'm um I want to avoid stress as much as possible I don't want to deal with anything yeah but of course you know um what causes mental illness I don't know right in terms of like like Mm -hmm. why why like at that moment right Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Does that fear change the way you approach your current life? In some ways, um, I'm careful in terms of not um, exerting myself. I don't want to trigger my vertigo. Um, I'm pretty careful in, um, at least I, I try to sustain, you know, that work-life balance. I mean, I'm not succeeding, um, but I'm getting better <laughs> at saying no to things. So if I'm so tired and I just can't take things on, I'll just be like, nope, sorry, I really can't do it. Do you have any plans for what you would do if it does happen later on in your life? Um, I would hope that I have people around me who would be like, we're going to get you help. You know, I hope it doesn't mm-hmm. escalate where, you know, you're on the bridge and you're like, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So yeah. It, yeah. It's yeah. scary right, to mm-hmm. think about that. In terms of the support you get from your parents now, because I know that in the um, CBC article, you said you had to move back in with your family for a little while during the pandemic. They were pretty hush-hush about the whole thing because they were afraid, you know, anything they say will make it into your future book or something like yeah. that. But does that um, distance that your parents now put between you and them also make you a little bit sad? Maybe you feel like you can't be as close to them as you would like perhaps sometimes when you want help from your parents or just want somebody to you know, cuddle up to, or, you know, somebody to pat you on the back, to tell you everything's okay. Does that also uh, make you a little bit sad? Um, to be honest, no, because I think um, there's that cultural barrier between us and that generational mm-hmm. barrier. Um, you know, like, I wouldn't go to my parents if I had a personal problem or if I had um, a professional problem, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, that's not the type of relationship I've cultivated with them, and, and that's okay. Like, I'm, I'm okay if we're having a nice lunch and no one gets called a bad name, you know, if we can just mm-hmm. get through a nice dim sum or whatever, then that's good. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need that really in depth, um, I guess, 
parenting, you know, relationship from them. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think even if I were to try, they wouldn't understand, right? I think that's um, a lot of things that, you know, immigrant parents and their children have in common where, you know, they're speaking a completely different language, but you could still have enjoy a nice meal together. Mm-hmm. But do you crave that? Um, you know, you can also get that from friends and um, romantic relationships, but do you crave that um, in, in your family at all? I don't. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I think um, for me... You don't feel like anything's missing in you if, if, if it's not there. Yeah, I think um, I grew up thinking like, okay, well, this is not going to happen with my parents, so why now? Like, mm-hmm. why that change, right? Um, you know... I'm sure, like, my parents, um, you know, if something were to happen, you know, like, if there was an emergency, I'm sure they would pick me up from the hospital, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't need, you know, for talking, right? That's why we have, we can get a therapist or something, right? Um, (laughs) But So you're okay with, like, um, you know how there's, like, different love languages? So you're okay with their acts of service? I'm totally fine with that. I'm I'm good with that now. I, I think as a as a child, you wonder why mom is feeding me so much food, right? But now you understand. You're like, okay, this is that's, how she, that's the only way she knows how to do it. She's not going to change, you know. She's not going to mm-hmm. become a different person. Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes it's better just to take the food and then freeze it, right? You can't finish it or give it away, right? But like, oh, thank you, and that's it. Yeah, it's really interesting how different families sort of express that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you keep in touch with your siblings still? Um, well, my brother still lives at home, and I think he, okay. um, he's there. I talk to him, but we don't have a close relationship. Um, my sister recently came back from Australia after 10 years, and we aren't close. Um, I don't know what it is about sisters, or maybe <laughs> we are, like, completely different people. Um, mm. But uh, she's never really shown interest in what I do, and I'm not, mm. you know, um, particularly invested in what she does. Um yeah, she, um, very, it was very strange. Um, I mean, the trip itself was fine. She was here. We had dim sum. And then after she left, she sent me this weird cease and desist letter saying that I cannot write about her in any future publications because she just assumed that I would write a book about her. And I'm like, well, I haven't written about you. And so, I don't know. Thank there actually wasn't that much about your siblings in your book. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But she's, yeah. she's, she thinks she's going to be the subject of a future book. So she went ahead and, <laughs> for, and wrote a cease and desist letter um, for a book that doesn't exist. And probably won't be, because I'm sorry to say she's not that interesting. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, so siblings are strange. So I'm just going to leave mm-hmm. it and be like, stay in Australia and I'll stay in North America. And hopefully we don't have to meet. I wish I was an only oh, child. Man. I know. I wish I was <laughs> share <laughs> that's what all um eldest children say really okay we're all yeah, selfish right because yeah. <laughs> we're the first one we want all the attention to stay on us oh, okay. <laughs> yeah let me ask you my other question this, this feels more like an interview but it's not i, I promise <laughs> all right do you think relationships between parents and children could fully mend after traumatic childhood um i don't know it depends on your definition i think of what fully mend a relationship is um I okay think it depends on one's expectations i think if i had expected my parents to do a full 360 and change as people and individuals mm-hmm. um you know after the book then i would have been disappointed 
Um, but I think in this case, for me personally, mending, um, you know, if we can have a nice meal, no one gets killed or injured and no feelings are hurt, then we've done mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think parents are okay in small doses. That's what I say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, it's tricky. You don't want to live with it's your really parents. Tricky. It's too stressful, right? Because of mm. all these things. Um, but I think people can move past it if people are willing to compromise in terms of expectations, right? Yeah. yeah. You must have had lots of discussions with your friends or you know people in your um, program back in Colombia about this um, parent-children uh, relationship subject. Do you feel like most kids keep their parents sort of at a arm's length distance just to keep that healthy relationship going? Like you were talking earlier about um, you can't be too close with your parents because then each will just drive the other person nuts. Do you think it's possible to have a close relationship with their parents um, and be a healthy one too? I think so, but it really depends on in terms of, I think, boundaries, right? Um, okay. I've heard like a lot of um, friends who are not, Asian will talk about having to have boundaries with their parents, right? You can't do this, you can't okay. do this. Whereas I think in Asian families, um, they don't respect that. They don't respect <laughs> boundaries, right? There's no such thing, right? Um, like even as an adult today, um, you know, I'll like, I'll let's say I'm my mother and I'm looking at my purse, I can't find something. She'll just grab my purse and start looking for me, right? You're like, I'm an adult. I'm not a child who needs help, um, and, and so that doesn't exist. And I think they don't understand um, mm-hmm. boundaries. Um, you know, if you tell me my mother something, she'll be like, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast, but she's like, you know, bullshit, right? If you tell her, and you're like, <laughs> you can't do this. Um, so I think it's really just each person trying to meet, um, find like, where what mm-hmm. works and what doesn't work. Like I've had like I, um, friends tell me like they each have a therapist, right? Um, mm. Each person's a family. But, but, but most Asian parents wouldn't, uh, want a therapist exactly yeah, right I think so and yeah I think with my Asian friends specifically they don't tell their parents a lot of things you know they will go to therapy and pretend they're not seeing a therapist um, they'll go you know because they'll be they'll be shamed for doing that right and yeah. and so like we um of course you know certain things you tell your parents certain things you pull back right just to keep the peace mm. and is that the right way to go about it you think um I don't know if it's the right way, but I think mm-hmm. it it has to work for the person what you're comfortable with, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, some people might be very against it and, and say, like, it's so dysfunctional because you're not telling your parents something. But mm-hmm. if your parents don't understand it or they're judgmental about it, then sometimes you just have to do what you need to do, right? To yeah, because peace. at their age, it, it's hard for them to change themselves, to meet you where you are yes i think so so you have to be the person who accept them as they are and work around them i think so i think a lot of asian parent asian adult children do that right just to Mm -hmm. to be like okay well mom dad you live there i live here this this is what i'm willing to negotiate this is what i'm not right you cannot do xyz while i'm here you cannot grab my purse and look for things Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm How's your relationship with your dad these days? Is he proud that you've become an author? I think they don't care, and they don't really understand it. Um, okay, not your dad doesn't understand it either. I don't think that I think they like not to you know promote stereotypes, but I think being an author because you don't get paid a lot. Um, it's not a glamorous <laughs> job, right? Um, mm-hmm. So you know they don't really understand the whole like 
why would you do it and you're not getting paid? <laughs> Look at all your friends. They're so wealthy compared to you. And you're like, mm-hmm. well, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you do you feel like you still seek their approval in some ways? I, I think some some part of me does. I mean, I am... I mean, I got a job at a university, right? That they understand. <laughs> to appease them. <laughs> yeah, that they understand. It's a paycheck. I get paid, you know, every two weeks. I can, I have health benefits, right? So they understand that. So my dad's happy mm-hmm. about that. He's like, oh, she's getting paid. And she's a semi-professor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? So I think part of me is that Asian, you know, practicality, right? Um, but the author part, it's baffling. I mean. You, you work so hard for so little money. Yeah. No, but you love doing what you do. Though. Exactly. Yeah, you do it because you love mm-hmm. what you do. And, you know, I mean, I'm miserable when I'm not writing and I'm miserable when I'm writing, but I can't see myself not writing. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, like a non-Asian family, they'll be proud of their children for being authors. So like, oh, wow, you've written books. You do things that other people don't really do, right? Of mm-hmm. course, um, Asian people, at least my family, they're like, well you know, what is this? <laughs> How much did you get paid? Yeah, that's, that's all they care about. Yeah. <laughs> so does it bother you that, um, you know, they, they keep measuring your worth based on uh, sort of like the, the practical stuff like money, um, you know, the prestigiousness of your job. And, you know, another thing that most Asian parents love to do is to compare you to other Asian parents' kids. Does that bother you? <laughs> I think I find it, it can be annoying, I think, just to be like, mm-hmm. so-and-so can retire at 40, right? Why are you not going to, when are you going to retire? And I'm like, well, uh, so-and-so is, a, you know, a specialist, and they make over a million. <laughs> and you can't compare. Um, of course, you know, what can you do? You can just, like, sigh and laugh about it, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't really let that bother you, because you, you're happy doing what you are doing right now. Yeah. For mm-hmm. me, as long as I can keep writing, you know, I have enough mm-hmm. to, enough money for food. I'm not, you know, on the streets, you know, destitute. Like, what can they say? <laughs> I see. Yeah. yeah. So tell me about um, uh, your second book and the latest book that you're working on that still hasn't been published. Mm-hmm. Um, my second book was a YA novel called... Um, what is my second book called? I forgot the title. That's, that's how I've been, because I'm working my third book, I always forget. Okay. Um, is it, what, what is it? Oh yeah, My Summer of Love and Misfortune. Oh my gosh, I cannot remember the title of my second book. I am such a bad uh, author. Um, and it's about a girl um, who's sent to Beijing um, where she's never met family before and she finds out they're crazy rich Asians and she learns all these things about herself. She's a really bad Asian and she ends up, you know, um, failing out of high school, doesn't get into college, and ends up crashing her parents' car through, the, you know, the, the driveway. That part's autobiographical, not drive. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, and then my third book um, is a short story collection. It's called Tell Me Pleasant Things About Immortality, um, Immigrant mm-hmm. Ghost Stories. It's, yeah, it's that a, sounds really interesting. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. you know, what happens if you have a relative who dies but doesn't die, comes back to haunt you, um, there's an internet order bride. Um, she comes from Shanghai and she brings apocalypse with her. So there's um, a bunch of different things where I draw into the supernatural. There's some mythology in it. Um, of course, um, and it plays on the idea of like what is immigration, right? And 
do we, mm. do we leave our secrets and our ghosts behind us or do we follow us, right? And I think mm. the answer for me is that they follow you, right? So are those two books also inspired by some real-life um, experiences that you've had? Um, yes and no. Um, I mean, I, I will draw on places that I visited, right? Um, mm-hmm. I draw on sometimes characters, people that I meet. I will mm-hmm. write about them and, and, you know, make them do, you know, a composite, but it's not, you know, it's not based on real life. Um, I wish there were zombies and ghosts. I haven't seen yeah. any. Of course, of course, not like zombies that you've seen in real life, yes. but, you know, like uh, maybe uh, parts of the characters are drawn from, you know, people you, you've met in real life mm-hmm. or um, stories you've heard from people, things like that. Yeah, I, I'm always, yeah. you know, like, especially places, like there's one story that takes place in Rock Beach, you know, and... Mm-hmm. Um, Nebraska City, I spent, um, I was writing, um, I did residency there for six weeks and we had to walk 10 miles to the Walmart in January in minus 10 weather. And I remember thinking, I was walking on the highway. I'm like, this is like the apocalypse, right? And so that sort of um, created that story <laughs> in that sense. I see. So that I will, inspired that. Yeah, yeah, I will take things mm-hmm. um, that have happened to me. Mm-hmm. I've also got to say before I let you go that, you know, reading um, the woo-woo, it seems like your life is just full of these really dramatic situations that most people don't encounter. Why, why do you think that is? Um, I think I'm a magnet for bad luck, as I mentioned. I don't know. Maybe my feng shui is off or maybe I need to see. <laughs> I don't know if it's true. Like I see a monk or something and calculate my star chart. Mm-hmm. But mm. yeah, I, I do. I have like the worst luck sometimes, like, you know, getting stung on the head by being and being allergic or like, mm. um, I don't know, getting struck by lightning. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why it is. I mean, I would like a very boring life where nothing happened. But then you wouldn't become an author because there would be nothing to write about. That is true. That is true. But, you know, sometimes you just want nothing to happen. You just like write, I don't know, <laughs> based on your imagination. Yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much, Lindsay. And thank you so much. It was so great to chat with you and meet you. Likewise. That was Lindsay Wong, the author of The Woo Woo, How I Survived Ice Hockey, Drug Raids, Demons, and My Crazy Chinese Family. Since The Woo Woo, she has also published another book called My Summer of Love and Misfortune. So after talking to Lindsay, what did I learn about parent-child relationships? Well, I think I learned that there's no silver bullet to the messy relationship. And since every relationship is unique, there's also no one-size-fits-all solution. Personally speaking, I would love it if my mom would stop sharing her opinion with me on everything from my outfits to my friends because it annoys me to no end. But I think Lindsay's convinced me to just let it go. Our parents are people too, with thoughts and feelings and flaws. And whether it's the small stuff or the big stuff, try not to get mad at them or cry and just take it for what it is and walk away if you need a break from it all. But one thing to never do is give up and don't run away. Because after the storm and heartaches, the sun will come out again and your parents still got your back. Until the whole thing repeats again, but that's just life. You've been listening to Wiser Living with CC Wong. If you like what you just heard, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google, and tell all your friends about it. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. Until next time.